Welcome to Journey with Purpose. This is episode seven. I'm your host, Randy Plummel. Today, we speak with Sean Mosley about design, design in the public sector, and designing for care. This is a very important topic for me as I continue to explore designing for and with the public. And without further ado, hey, Sean, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me on the show. I am Sean Mosley, pronouns he, him. I'm, by day, I'm a designer researcher in the public sector through a private company. I am based in the amazing Atlanta, Georgia. You're actually the second Lantian I've talked to this week. Tell us uh, if, if I was coming to Atlanta and I needed to see one thing, what should I see? Without a doubt, if you come to Atlanta, the one thing that I'd say you have to see is the Atlanta Beltline. And Atlanta is full of history and other things. There is the birthplace of Martin Luther King Jr., which I, I feel even guilty like saying that in, in, in saying the Beltline instead of that. But like the Beltline is one of those things where it's possible because of the birthplace of MLK, but it's also like the present living example of bringing community together and everything. And like it's not perfect. Uh, there are definitely things where there should be more affordable housing on the Beltline. But the beautiful thing about the Beltline is how it, it shows what we can do when we like live up and lean into our imagination rather than just saying, oh, well, we've always had cars and malls and parking lots and like that is the only thing we can do. And it's like, no, there's so much more that we can do. You talked a little bit about designing in public and for the public sector, but with a private company. I'd mm -hmm. love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, so I've been like playing with this idea myself lately of you know what in a another life i was a public servant that is deeply in my heart mind and soul but going through the traditional colleges and schooling i never saw public service as a viable option um, especially in the the sector of technology now I'm a designer researcher I'm at Nava PDC, and we do amazing work. And that was my introduction into the public sector and learning about all that goes into it. Because I, I definitely grew up with the assumption, the belief of, oh, government is inept and they don't do anything but try to make your life harder. And then I like learned about Nava. I was like, there's interesting things going on here. Like, what is happening? And after diving in and seeing all of the great people doing work, I was like, hey, this seems like where I want to be. I want to help others. How can I do it? And then I jump in. And that old stereotype of, oh, government is inept and incapable completely crumbled away. Like, some of the most intelligent, most capable, most driven people that I've met are public servants. And they work tirelessly in order to deliver. And it's honestly impressive what some people are able to deliver, given the constraints that they're in. Some of the constraints are good constraints, like moving slow to make sure that we are getting it right. Um, and then some constraints are odd bureaucratic red tape, like, oh, in order for someone to be an employee on this project, they have to have X years of experience and a college degree. Meanwhile, there are tons of people now who are great designers, engineers, and other forms of tech specialists 
that don't have college degrees and don't come from traditional backgrounds. And that bureaucratic red tape is holding us back. Even in spite of all the random bureaucratic red tape that can get in the way, public servants still deliver. And so being able to see that from my side and being able to contribute from a private company and as a, a vendor in the space of like, it's been so much learning, so much learning and unlearning of different things like the government doesn't work. And it's like, no, the government is very restricted in, in different ways. And the fact that public servants show up every day, I, I'm always in awe. I always try to remind people that government is just full of people. And a lot of the constraints we might be operating in might actually come from a good spot. I'd love to understand what your definition or your thoughts about what design and research means to you. Design and research to me means that I am taking the intentional action of understanding the problem. Like I've thought about it. What is design? There's so many different forms of design. There's fashion design, which is like the original understanding of design that I had growing up versus there's landscape design, there's interior design, there like whatever you think of, like it can be designed. And what design has meant for me is the fact like, hey, I am taking the time to think about the problem before I act on it. Doing research and saying, before I build, before I even think about solutions, I'm going to understand the problem. One thing I've added to my research when I'm doing design now is doing the historical research. We always talk about jumping in and doing user research and talking to people today and doing things. Once you recognize that like we're not in a vacuum and that there are so many things that happened beforehand that led us to this situation, you start to recognize, holy crap, there is so much information that I could just lean on and sometimes not even leave your desk in order to do that research. So the historical research and then doing the existing best practices of user research, doing interviews, doing discovery research, then that can lead into the design where now I have done the research. I know a little bit more about the landscape. I'm wondering now, how can I piece all of this together to now create, I'm afraid of the word innovative. I feel like it is <laughs> overused and problematic, but creating meaningful solutions using all of the information I've gained from research and now taking the time to sit down and design and think about how to go forward with it. And then I would partner with someone to typically partner with someone to exercise the implementation of it. Thank you for that. I think design, innovation, research, those are all incredibly contested, like bucket words, right? They kind of obscure yeah. more than they reveal. I wonder in your role as you're helping lead research and design, especially in the public sector, I am always worried when I do research is being really clear, we're not gonna talk to everyone. We can't, we're not artists, we have to ship. And oftentimes the people that we're designing for need a lot of help and the things that we can do are needed right now. One of the things I'm really also cognizant of is exactly what you said is honoring and understanding what has come before me as I step into something 
and knowing that when I step out as oftentimes I'm, I'm in a consultative role. And so that has a generally a short amount of time and eventually I'll leave just trying to understand as we enter into do research, how do we do it in a safe and equitable manner? I'd love to get your thoughts on how are you doing research that gets what you need as a designer, but also realizes that we need to do it in a safe and equitable manner? Wow, great question. That's a very tough question. And probably when I was in the private sector doing research was thinking of whether I want to admit it or not, it was probably more of an extractive mindset of, hey, I'll get your information and like, we'll give you this little gift card and like we'll like part ways. Whereas now, now I always look at it as like, it is about caring. I think one of the faults of our current norms is that we don't really care about things at, or not even care about things, but we don't care about people. And the best example I can have of that is if you've ever had a fight uh, in a technical space of trying to push for accessibility and people are like, oh, this is so stupid. I have to mark this checkbox. And it's just like, no, if you know someone who has difficulty seeing and you want them to be able to get through the product or service that you're creating and you keep them in mind, you care. And you're not just looking to mark the checkboxes that some random governance body for the W3 consortium created. You're thinking about how can I help make sure this person that I know and that I care about get the information that I know that they deserve and get the care and focus that, that they deserve. So I take that mindset now into going into research and making sure, look, this research session is very much so about you feeling safe. If you don't want to answer a question, don't. I give room and space to where the participant has the ability to stop and process their emotions. I remember one project I was working on and we were dealing with like sending in documentation in regards to like medical issues or whatever. And like the typical designer in me was like, oh yeah, well this is research and it's gonna be a fun interview and we're gonna talk. And the person came in and talked about how the process of submitting paperwork was grueling as they are dealing with this heavy life situation. They have this disease that is debilitating. And while they are struggling in the hospital, they're getting notifications that their paperwork isn't right and the weight of it just really sets in and it's like this isn't what you would see when you're just making ads oh well like is the font the right type no this is very much of being there and so bringing all of that back to what is equitable research how do we set that up i think it's all about caring and setting up that space and so in that interview i made sure to give that participant space to work through it and make sure to recognize that they're seen and that even though they went through a dehumanizing process, I now recognize their humanity and see them now. That is the the first step. The second step for making research more equitable is identifying those with the highest need. 
and this is a mind frame that I've gained from working with peers at Nava. If you solve for those with the highest need, you will definitely solve for the needs of everyone else. And there is this web comic. It's an accessibility comic that shows the entry to a school that's snowed in. And there's a ramp and then there's stairs and there's a student in a wheelchair and there's an adult shoveling the stairs and the student in the wheelchair says, hey, why don't you go ahead and shovel off the snow off the ramp? That way everybody can get in. The adult shoveling says, oh, no, but I have to get to the stairs first because that's where most people are going to get in. And it's just like, sure, 99 of your 100 students can get up the stairs. But you have now left out that student who needs wheelchair access. And if you did focus on the ramp first, you would have made it accessible for the, the student in the wheelchair and everyone else. And I think that again, it's because we, we don't care. Like if we cared that the student in the wheelchair is going to be at an extreme disadvantage while everyone else is just at a slight disadvantage, then we would refocus. And so focusing on caring, meeting those with the highest needs and meeting people where they are. The other aspect with meeting people where they are is recognizing like it's easy for us as designers working from home on computers to put up a Craigslist ad and meet somebody on Zoom. And the pandemic only exacerbated not meeting people in person and not doing that. But being able to get out and meet people in person and go to a library uh, or go to a DMV or go to wherever, you know, the service, especially in the public sector where people are at you're able to do that. And one thing I loved from the journey with Purpose pamphlet, there was the example of the Mad Libs. And I thought that was like, that's it. You create an open form where it says, I would run for city council if blank. And it's just a little sticker. And like the number of ways that you can have people interact with this sticker is almost infinite versus it being, oh, I ha you have to have a good computer, you have to be able to dial in, you have to do that. Like all of those barriers are now removed and I'm able to get your input, even if it is just 30 seconds of your day on a piece of paper as you go on to your next thing. And so those would be the three things to make research more equitable. Caring, actually caring for people, centering those who have the highest need and meeting people where they are. Yeah. Thank you for that. I love Mad Libs stickers and Mad Libs and stamps and things like that. It's a, the barrier to entry is quite low. Uh, the project that, that you mentioned, it was for the city of LA that with their innovation team. And part of it was just, we have a lot of different questions and we want to design a spectrum of engagement so that if you have, 30 seconds or 10 seconds, you can still like stick or something. You can vote for something. And then we could be like, Hey, do you want to spend 10 more seconds? Or do you want to spend another 30 seconds and create a slip and slide to more engagement. When I did a project with the New York civil liberties union, it was hosting a conversations around policing. And that was the same idea is that 
let's create a spectrum of engagement so that if you want to sit and tell us your story about interacting with police, then we, we have that for you. But if you just want a sticker something or take a sticker, we have that for you as well. I, I still think that spectrum is really important. We wanted to create a system so that people would feel that no matter where they were, they could have feedback. And so I, I wonder from your point of view as you're designing, yep. oftentimes maybe research is done at the beginning of the project. Mm -hmm. And that's when you might have more permission to go out and speak to people and really, really be side by side with them. And Definitely. then at, every day you go on, you get smarter about the problem and you have those stories of the people you've already spoken with. But then at a certain point, implementation happens, which is fun and exciting. But also there's a lot of decisions that have to be made that is based on that, those original stories. I'd love for you to hear some stories from you about how do you keep that thread and link it back to the public. I want to jump back as well to like the stickers and the buttons and the stamps. What I've appreciated like learning from you, those are the best examples of meeting people where they are. I think we've lost a lot thinking, oh yeah, the digital internet, but we've lost sight of the fact that like where our actual body is and where we live and who is our neighbor and things like that. But once it's something that is tangible and physical and you have to like actually engage with it, it's a completely different experience than just doing things online. And like, I'm in Atlanta, you're hundreds, if not thousands of miles away in New York. And like the internet is allowing great things to happen, but there are limits to it. We, we can't say that we are going to do everything by, by Zoom. We are not digital creatures. We are physical creatures having digital experiences. Like that is the best way to put it. So I love the, the physical artifacts coming in and making us recognize like we are here and we do have to engage. So I just wanted to highlight that. I think you hit it on the head. We're embodied beings, right? We take up space. Design and research gets really exciting at those intersections and Oftentimes those are really hard intersections to design for, but also it gets me super excited. Yeah. <laughs> and oftentimes those intersections also, if you solve for them, like you said, with the really great example of the, the ramp in the snow is that if you can design for some of that, you will design for people who might be on a spectrum of whatever from sighted to mobility to any sort of spectrum that tension of oh, we come in all different types and shapes and size but we all have similar if competing needs wants hopes fears yeah. and dreams and that my excitement about design and design research is trying to find where some of those commonalities are and to help people do better in their day and that might look like saving time on filling out their dmv forms or making it slightly easier to save some time for their kids. I think going on that thread of sameness, uh, that is one of the things that like I've felt I've had an epiphany on recently is it, it, you step back and look at the broader like social tensions in America, like so much of it is baked in fear. 
And if you go back to the example of a police officer and or mm -hmm. the community engaging with police, and there's fear on, on, on both sides, whether there's rational or irrational fear, there's still fear. The mind does not say, oh, this is irrational fear. I can ignore it. Like our body says fear and we tense up and get into reactive mode. You know, how can we move ourselves forward to where we live in a world where we're not pushing fear and pushing people to be afraid, but pushing people to like, hey, wh what, what can you think of? Because that's, that's like the biggest impediment to a lot of different projects. I'm an urbanist fan. Well, I'll say that. Like, I'm like, I, I don't think I'm an urbanist myself. Like, I've not actually done much or anything, but like being involved with it is interesting. And one of the biggest challenges to it is fear of, oh my God, where are all these people going to park? And it's just like, wait a minute. What if I told you there is a way for people to get here without a car? What if we are able to actually walk there? And so the root of so many of our problems is fear. And I think like, if we can really get to addressing our fears and getting to a place where we're not living on like just addressing fear, but thinking about what is possible, that that is what also excites me. And I think the unifying thought is like, we all have fears. Let's make sure to address those. And then we can also get to the fact that in addition to us all having fears, we all have dreams and hopes. Nobody wants to live in a community where there's gunshots and rampant violence and you never feel safe. People dream of living in a safe area where their kids can go and play and life is, is so much easier. How can we get to that? Um, and I think that's focusing and leaning in on intensifying our sameness. You, you talked about community. And I think this is the hardest part for me as the designer is defining community. It's a really tough because it, it gets into whose voices are the loudest, whose voices get heard. And I think that we have not solved the problem of community with air quotes engagement. And I wonder from a research and a caring point of view, where are some places that you think that we could start to find some of those commonalities in our communities? Lots of thoughts here. The first thought I have around community is a definition I got out of this wonderful pamphlet called the Journey with Purpose pamphlet. If you haven't got it yet, I recommend getting it, um, where it defines community is extremely inclusive. It is inclusive of everyone. If you exclude anyone, you now have a club. Like that is completely separate and completely different. And there is that aspect that I want to operate off of that. Like that is the definition of community. And the next aspect uh, for me is I lean very heavily on the future is local, given the like rapidly accelerating climate change. I'm like the, the present is local. Like we need to really like change our ways of operating. And I feel like there's so much opportunity to really cultivate community engagement and being with everyone. Once you, you start to get people out of cars and you get people walking and passing by each other, you will see community engagement in ways that are just natural and you, we didn't even think about. And that's the first piece. But one of the biggest influences for me 
is this book by Randy McCarter. He, they focus on this idea from the organization of Community Renewal International. And what the basic premise of the book is, we can make the world better by revillagizing society and making it so it's not a, oh, I don't know my neighbors. I get in my car, park, and like rush into my front door before I like even see anyone. It, it is very much, no, I know my neighbors. I am able to see and like offer help if anything or ask for help if I need it. And there is like that immediate, like those are my neighbors, but then there's the larger neighborhood where there are people on different blocks that I see all the time as we take our kids to school and they take their kids to school. I think community engagement is, it's not easy with the current systems that we have in place. But I think as we shift to more local focuses in recognizing our focus shouldn't be always on the larger global aspect, like that is is extremely difficult to even comprehend as an individual. So it's it's kind of foolish to think like that should be the way that we always operate by worrying about people far, far away all the time. I'm ignoring my neighbors who I can help right now. I'm ignoring uh, the family members down the street who just need someone to talk to or whatever. And so I think community engagement, it will become easy as things start to shift. I wonder if part of what we're realizing is there's a real cost in focusing broader than our human minds can can understand. The other thing I worry about some of emerging technologies is that it's another piece of the puzzle of creating more than we can understand. Because our, our brains are our brains, and there's still only 24 hours in the day, and we still have to sleep. And I was talking with my neighbor about this where the technology we've created is great. There's so much potential to it. But the the thing is, when we're doing all of this creation, we don't often pause to stop and ask, should we? We can create AI, and we can create an AI that will write an essay for me on any given topic. Should we? We can figure out how to get to Mars. Should we? That Those questions and, and answering that, I think that is it versus like we just immediately think like, oh my gosh, we can widen this highway. Or, or even better, hey, we can bulldoze a community to build a highway. Should we do that? Like, is your transportation worth uprooting entire communities? Like, it is completely different when we ask that question and think about the, should we be doing this thing? I am Sean Mosley, pronouns he, him. By day, I'm a designer researcher, and I am calling in from the great Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you so much. This was awesome. All right, so that's another episode of Journey with Purpose. I want to thank Sean for his time and for reminding us that time and attention are important ingredients when we're doing research and we're trying to help people solve their problems. Now, I want to remind everyone that the words and opinions you hear are our own 
and don't reflect our employers. I think it's important to both say that as a bright line, but also remind people that government is just people. And it's important that we both create bright lines, but also understand that sharing is an important part of working in public and for the public. So I really appreciate Sean and his insights today. And if you want to share some more, please go ahead and smash that like button, heart button, share this with your friends and family. And if you're like Sean and enjoys a physical good, please go online to jwp.news and you can look and purchase some of our pamphlets and you can get them out of our house and into yours and help spread the word. I want to thank you again and see you on the internet.